Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance ECOs. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. If this is your first time of the show, welcome. If you're regular, welcome back. So today's guest gives us a little bit of insight into his entrepreneurial journey through startups. He had a few that he started and realized that those weren't the ones he wanted to pursue. And eventually he found what he is doing now. He's the CEO and co-founder of True Local, which was pitched on the Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den is the equivalent to Shark Tank here in Canada. It was actually started before Shark Tank, which is really cool. They went in there to get exposure and to help grow their business. So it was re- it's a really cool story. True Local is all about pairing up with farmers, sustainable farmers in local areas so that people can get the best meat possible. Now, whether you're a meat eater or not, it's always good to do your research and to understand where anything you eat comes from. So. This is a really powerful program that they have. So if you're in British Columbia, we're talking about Canada here. So if you're in BC, if you're in Ontario, I believe they're in Alberta as well, they'll pair up you with the farmers and package together meats in boxes that'll be sent right to your door from your local farmer. So it's all about the transparency. People want to know where the meat comes from. Regardless if you eat meat or not, you should know where your food comes from. This is a really cool conversation about the specific company, True Local, what they're up to, but more about the journey as a founder doing startups. We went through some key elements that you don't want to miss if you're a startup or a founder of a company that will help you in your journey. So it gives us a bit of his ups and his downs and the lessons that he's learned throughout his journey. So Mark LaFleur is going to be joining us and I urge you guys to listen to this right to the end because there's a lot of powerful information, especially for the listeners out there who want to start a business and and have these expectations. He paints a clear picture of what to expect and, you know, how to prepare yourself. So really, really excited for you guys for this conversation. I know I say that about everybody, but every single person has that amazing message that I know will give you guys value because I know I got value from it. So here we go, guys. Mark LaFleur coming right up. Mark, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Lance, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> me too, man. You're doing some great things with True Local and been following you. And uh, you know, I've tried your guys' product. It's, it's awesome. And anybody that doesn't know about True Local and about your story, man, before we get in and unpack everything you're up to, I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your backstory because it's pretty interesting. You know, you've, you've, you're well-educated. You've gone on a journey, you've learned a lot, and now you're able to, you know, kind of teach. So if you're able to give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, man, I would love to learn more about you. For sure, man. You want the full story or you want the short story? I don't know, man. Whatever you feel is relevant. Whatever right, you feel. I'll dive in. Yeah. So I was actually, I spent uh, five years at the University of Waterloo. My degree is in health. I was there playing football for a little while. While I was working there, I kind of got the entrepreneur bug. I remember I was in second year and, and I never got into Snapchat back in second year. So this is around 2012. But uh, I heard that Snapchat uh, got offered $3 billion by Facebook. So I'm not sure if you remember when that happened, but that was like a huge thing going around. So for me, you know, I couldn't even conceptualize what a million dollars was, let alone the idea of 3 billion. And I couldn't really associate how this toy, like it's an app, right? And if you don't really understand the business behind apps, you don't realize that it just seems like this, this toy on your phone. So I couldn't really understand how that was worth so much money, but a light bulb clicked and I was like, Hey, this is the space I got to get into. So 
Second year, my degree's in health. And I realized I really wanted to start pursuing sort of tech business and see what sort of opportunities lie there. So me and my four buddies, we got together and we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build an app. We'll put like a bunch of our OSAP money together and, you know, we'll be millionaires by the summer. Like it'll be great. No problems. Right. Yeah. So we tried that and we made this app called Tell. And what it was, was it was pretty much instant messaging, similar to Snapchat, but this is before Snapchat was getting into it um, on the messaging side. And this never really ended up taking off or anything, but we kind of looked at it where if images could be sent and then deleted, why don't we do it with just texting? So we did that. That lasted about six months. Lots of great experiences doing that, but it kind of gave me that initial bug, right? Like that entrepreneur bug. So from there, I continued up with my undergrad and I ended up getting a full-time job. One of my butts, so actually similar guy, same guy. Um, we lived together and uh, we never even used to know what he did for work. Like you're a student, right? So you live in your little hub, you know, you got, we, I was a part-time personal trainer and that's kind of all it is. And you don't really know what's going on in the outside world. He was a little older and he would go to work every day and come back and we're like, dude, like, you know, what are you doing? He's like, well, I got my job. And eventually we asked him like, Hey, you know, are you guys hiring? Cause I would love to, you know, make some extra cash. And he's like, yeah, you know, you talk really fast. You might be good at sales. Why don't you give this a shot? And then it ended up being one of those door to door meat companies. So pretty much this guy was going door to door, trying to get into people's homes saying, Hey, I'll sell you a year's worth of meat. And I went, did an interview. They hired me on the spot and I did that for a year. I think it was my last year in university. And that's how I got into the whole meat side of things. Super mm -hmm. random. I always talk to a lot of founders, a lot of people nowadays that are in really random spaces. And it's always some sort of weird origin story, how it kind of just fell on their lap. But I ended up doing that for about four years. So I ended up being one of the top sales reps in the company doing the whole in-house sales thing. And they gave me the opportunity to go open up my own office. So at the time, you know, I was 22. And for me to go do that, it was a great opportunity. But at the same time, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I didn't have an office or anything. I just went out It was the, the city I was opening up and was about an hour from where I was living. So I would drive out there every day and do a bunch of interviews for these like 35 year old sales vets trying to convince them, hey, yo, come sell some meat with me. Um, it's a great product. And you know, yeah, I, you know, I'm a good manager, I swear, you know, I can make this work. So that was a, an awesome time in terms of getting a lot of experience early on. And by the time I was done, it had been about four years, filled it up to about 30 employees in that office. And I did that, yeah, so I did that for four years. So in between that time, you know, I got, I got bored again, you know, after about two years into it or two and a half years, the office was kind of running itself. And during that time, I, once again, I got that sort of tech bug, right? So we built that app. And now here I am working in this meat space doing sales. Now I'm a manager. So we actually ended up doing, uh, I got bored again. I did another startup called Dash Task. And I took all the things that I learned from the first startup, all the failures that went through, and, and I brought it into the second one. So still working uh, full time for this job. But on the side, I was working on this startup. And long story short, it was called Dash Task. And it was really playing on the sharing economy. So pretty much a community's ability to share resources for mutual gain. You see it with everything, Airbnb, Uber, but on a more practical level, you see it with things like Craigslist, Ask for Task, TaskRabbit. So what we did was we built a, a website that people could go online and, you know, for example, I need someone to walk my dog or I need someone to come in, help me move this fridge, which is a proven, and you know, you could, you could put it up there for 20, 30 bucks, right? Yeah. So we took that proven business model and we put it into universities because a lot of people thought that all students are broke and that's not the case at all. If you've been to you know, any university really, you'll see there's a big gap between uh, the kids that have money and the kids that don't. So 
did that for a while and that's where we started getting some real traction and you know we got to fly out to austin uh, to pitch a couple of vcs and met a couple of people that i'm doing some consulting with now in san francisco so really kind of got a little bit more into the tech side of things anyway same thing that didn't end up panning out so i was working with me and my co-founder on it we actually ended up getting a job at google and you know being an unfunded startup if you got a job at google you're probably going to take that right yeah. So I got back to my day to day. Things were good. The money was great. I had a good team, but once again, I was getting bored. I was getting hungry. You know, I wasn't very happy. And I started looking back to say, Hey, I get these really good starting points and these really good ideas, you know, to hit that whole Snapchat thing when instant messaging was big, that was a good timing. And then, you know, obviously we had, like I said, just for, um, ask for task and task rabbit were taking off. You know, the timing is good on these things. What's going on. And I realized that I wasn't, 100% committed. Like these were hobbies to me, you know, I was still working full time. So I really kind of did a lot of reflecting and I went to this event and got to meet the guy organizing the event. It was this, actually the event was called Go Abundance, and it was this networking event for wealthy men. Mm -hmm. And you had to be like worth $5 million or make a million dollars annually to actually go to the event. And none of which was I anywhere near, but I knew one of the guys, a buddy actually invited me and they said, you know, you're in some exciting things. You're a young guy. Why don't you come as a plus one? So I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go do that. So I got to meet these 30 rock stars, pretty much all these multimillionaires. And it just blew my mind the way business gets done on that level, you know, sitting across the table and I'm just sitting here quietly, but you've got all these guys that are, you know, Hey, uh, man, I'm really screwed on this manufacturing plan. I'm trying to get blah, blah, blah. And some guy from across the table is like, Oh, I've got three manufacturing plants in your area. Like when we make something happen. So anyway, where I'm going with wow. this, uh, yeah, the, it was, it was, it was mind boggling. It was super eye opening and kind of making that initial transition from, you know, being that employee sort of like working for the man and understanding all that to see how things kind of work on the other side of the table was really enlightening. But another part of it, the guy who actually ran the event challenged me. He's like, when are you going to start doing something real? You know, when are you going to start doing some really cool stuff? And, you know, at the job I was at before, I was making $200,000 a year at 22. And that was in sales. And, you know, a lot of people that are in sales, you can see that type of stuff. And he kept telling me, he's like, you know, when are you going to do some real things? Because 200,000 is the scariest number you're ever going to make. Because at $200,000, people are scared to leave their jobs at $60,000 or $70,000. How, if you get comfortable in this lifestyle at 23, how are you going to ever leave that? So I got back, got to the job, and that stuck with me. Like, I, it's still, to this day, I still think about it. And I realized that if I wanted to do something successful in business, I needed to go all in. So I have this unique skill set in meat because I've been doing this for the past while and it really changed my entire life. Like the way I eat, the way I see the meat industry, the way I look at food in general, having this job really changed that for me. But I also got a bit of a tech background. So I figured, look, if I need to quit my job to, to be successful in business, I should probably do something that I have the highest chance of success and it's something I actually believe in. And that was pretty much creating a business to where we could connect people to local farmers and get them better quality meat. So that was the original beginning of how I went through university and got into true local. Yeah. And that's kind of how it all started. I love it, man. And I'm, I'm glad you, you told us that because that just goes to show you the reality of, you know, people trying to start up businesses, right? I mean, you tried these different things, but what I, what I find interesting is what, what was the thing that made you decide that, that was considered like a failure. Like, why didn't you pursue like the first thing, the the Snapchat app or the, like the, the, the text thing? Like, what was the reason? Were you just not interested in enough? Like, why did you decide to go pivot a different way? Like, why didn't you hone in on that a little bit more? Yeah. And I know it sounds super cliche, but I feel like I've never failed in my life. Like yeah. I've had a lot of things that didn't work out, but I wouldn't have gotten to dash task if it wasn't for tell. I wouldn't have gotten to true local if it wasn't for that. Totally. So ironically with tell, I don't tell too many people the story, but I'll put it out here. But I was, you know, I was hungry. I was a young guy. I always wanted to push things forward. I always wanted things to be perfect. 
And, you know, if someone ever messed up, I would definitely be on top of that really quickly. Well, anyway, we got Tell up and running, did a launch party, did all that type of stuff. And the four friends that I did this with, none of us had any skills, right? Like we were literally second year students and figured that if we make an app, we'd be millionaires. So we had no skill set, no nothing. Anyway, we ended up, you know, did a marketing plan, put that together, got to pitch a couple investors, got some media coverage. Um, and we ended up being able to outsource the app. So this is my first time getting into sort of any sort of project management. So we outsourced the app development. And the guy gave us access to the database and we were running and chugging along and things were going well, but you know, it's hard, man. You're pushing that boulder up the hill. And especially in the early days of running a business, a couple, a couple like shots to the gut really quickly can make you just be like, yo, it's done. So anyway, we were doing well, but there was a couple things happening and I accidentally, believe it or not, I deleted the, uh, the database. So okay. I went in cause I was logging around and I was just messing up some stuff and I accidentally deleted it and I deleted pretty much all the users that we had had. So we were just launched, we did a soft launch in our city, but I deleted all the users that we had and there's no way to get them back. So looking at that, that was kind of the point that we're like, okay, you know what, yeah. maybe this one's kind of done. So we did that. So that's why I consider it to be like a definitely major learning lesson. So from there at the same time, you know, we definitely would have needed at that point in time, that it's a big win to want to keep on going. Instead, we took a massive L. So it was like, okay, let's, you know, let's shutter this. Yeah, no, it's, one, yeah. no, no, sorry. Go ahead. So go ahead. I was going to, I was going to say that. Yeah. The next one dash task. That was awesome. You know, I took all the things I learned. I really realized that, you know, you got to make sure that there's like, everyone in the business is doing something right like starting something with four friends equal across the like 25 25 25 sounds great on paper when you're in university and you're all high-fiving but when it gets down to it and you actually start having to do things you realize you want to make sure who you're partnering with is actually going to add and contribute right so for dash task what i realized that i really wanted to partner with someone who's extremely talented so i got to partner with one of the top computer science majors at the university of waterloo we started building this out and we actually got someone went to go pitch one of the vcs what ended up happening in austin once again we kind of needed one of those big wins it was really it was part-time for us we were doing it he was weighing out a job at google that might have happened and when we got out there the offer was pretty much that they would fund us but they want us to move the business to austin so came back and looked at it he eventually got the job at google we would have had to move the business out to austin so we're like you know what I think it's time to put this one down as well. So yeah, that was kind of the moments where I realized I'm like, you know what? I think it's time to move on from these ones. And and I think it it kind of felt natural. I'm a huge feeling guy, you know. I do yeah. things based on feel. So it kind of felt like it was time. And that was the those are the signals for me that was okay. Time to move on to the next. Yeah, man. Cause that I like that how you said like there you don't really ever fail. You just kind of learn, right? I mean that's 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 kind of like the whole journey. And I love that because you know you're learning, you're learning, and then and then you get an opportunity. So you 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 pitch dragons down right? Yep. You went there. Talk us through, for anybody from the States that's listening, Dragon's Den is like the shark tank in Canada. So if you guys are listening, you guys, it's the same sort of thing where, you know, you go, you pitch your idea. Can you, can you talk us through that a little bit? Like that experience on, you know, what was that like actually because you see the thing on TV or you like, how did you have to prepare for that? And, and what was that experience like? Yeah. So got to give a big shout out to Dragon's Den for one reason, because Dragon's Den came before Shark's Tank. So ironically, yeah. every time we go to the US, nobody knows about Dragon's Den. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty much the Canadian Shark Tank. But yeah, that, that show's been around, like got to be 15 years now. So yeah. I've done, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have opportunities to pitch businesses quite a bit leading up to Dragon's Den. Just once again, the three startups, right? And yeah. a nonstop, no, 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 no. And you keep running through the door trying to talk to people. So for Dragon's Den in Canada, what we do was relatively unique at the time. Meal kits were already taking off, raising hundreds of millions of dollars. 
But the idea of shipping meat in the mail, only meat, was relatively new. Companies in the U.S. have been doing it, but Canada still didn't have too many players doing that type of stuff. So um, the opportunity to go on Dragon's Den was kind of twofold. It wasn't a financial reason. We already had the money. That was going fine. It was it was exposure, right? So if we could get Dragon's on board, then that would add credibility to the fact that people are kind of like, it's very easy for someone to click and say, yep, let me get my meal kit delivered to my door. They don't think twice about it. But as soon as you click, let me get my meat delivered, only my meat. Well, is it coming frozen? Where is it coming from? There's a lot more skepticism behind that, right? Right. So on top of that, one step further, you know, I like to challenge myself. And I think that, you know, if you're not moving forward, you're dying. So I've done a lot of pitches behind closed doors and I feel like I'm relatively okay at it. However, that's because I can be myself and I can talk and I can kind of get a little bit more theatrical and do all this type of stuff. But pitching on national television, when in reality, they kind of want you to mess up because it makes better TV. That's like a whole other level, right? Yeah. So that was kind of the opportunity for me and, 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 Looking at Dragon's Den, it was it was just full phone. It was great for the business. It was great for me personally. So the the whole process is awesome. It's really easy. You go through an audition. You know, we showed up way too early. Went through the audition, and then they'll give you a heads up. Hey, you know what? If you uh, if you make it past the audition, we'll put you through. We'll put you through the filming. So you go through the filming, and a lot of people ask me. I didn't realize this, but like people will ask, like, is it fake? Is it set up? Like this is as real as it gets, man. Like. If anything, you know, there's some curveballs they'll throw at you when you're out there. But when you walk out, like it's go time. Like they're pitching you, they're asking you questions, they're going through the whole thing. The only thing that you see that's different is they condense it quite a bit. So, you know, our pitch was probably 40 minutes, but seven minutes ended up airing on TV. So you go do that. I would recommend that anybody in the US and in Canada, they all should do this. And once again, I wouldn't recommend doing it for the money but I would definitely recommend doing it for your own personal development. And because you got to take those risks. Like if you're the type of person who's like, I don't want to do it because what if I mess up? You know, it's going to be hard to run a business because you're going to have to take a lot of risks that require you to be like, okay, my option here is to not fail. I don't get to fail on this. So I think it's a great personal development milestone that a lot of entrepreneurs should go through or try to. Yeah. How important is it that everybody knows their numbers? Is that super important that, because I find that's a big issue on either of those shows, like people go in and, you know, they overestimate their valuation or whatever. Is that, how important is it that people know their numbers in the beginning? It's everything. Like yeah. I've always said this, it's not hard to go on Dragon's Den and do well, but if you aren't prepared, you're, they're going to, they're going to rip you up, right? It's not, yeah. it's easy to pull up a couple of metrics. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people that go on the den just need to kind of really think about is that, you know, you, you pitching yourself is one thing, but at the end of the day, you can be the most lovable person and be the greatest person ever. But if you don't understand your business, especially from a high level, you know, just things like your customer acquisition costs, things like the life, if, if you're in e-commerce specifically, these are kind of e-commerce metrics, but like the lifetime value of your customer, you know, these things are important. If you don't know, you know, the different channels that you're advertising on and what you're spending, if you don't know what your market size is, like things like this, it's very hard for an investor to have confidence that you're going to take their money and deploy it properly. So I would just recommend that out of everything, like even if you bought your pitch, if you know your numbers, there's actually a good chance that you can kind of circle it back. So I just say, do your research and then make sure to know your business well. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, let's, let's talk more into, so you saw the demand in getting, bringing people local meats. Maybe can you explain a little bit more? Because I love the idea. You know, I've heard there's, there's butcher box in the States. There's, there's other companies too. And this, why is this important? And do you see, like, maybe walk us through the process a little bit for somebody that, you know, believes in sourcing everything local, because a lot of the stuff is garbage out there, right? Coming from factory farms, like how important to that and how, 
how does that work for you guys? Yeah. So to be honest, like I, I noticed the need when I was working at my old company, right? So literally I've always said this, I got the best crash course in market research. I was literally in people's homes trying to sell them this product and hearing their objections, right? So this whole thing came about because meat's the most controversial product you're going to have when it comes to food, period, for a lot of different reasons. It's expensive. There's global warming issues. You've got tons of ethics issues. There's tons of issues with it, right? But at the end of the day, I, I personally think it's necessary in life. So we started realizing that not only is it very controversial, but people are very skeptical about where it's coming from. Meat just tends to gross people out sometimes, right? Like if you think about, if you're eating a steak, you love it. When you think about a steak, it's not something you get super excited about, right? Yeah. So we started diving down and trying to distill what people cared about most when it came to meat. And we went through everything from certified claims. So cert certifications like organic, certified non-GMO, stuff like that all the way through to more uh, lightweight claims. So things like natural, which isn't really a thing. You know, there's a lot of claims out there that aren't even uh, regulated. Nobody's even out there saying, hey, this is a claim or not a claim. So start going through all that because maybe that's what people were into. And this is all market research that we did. And then we eventually boiled it down and it was, it was this amazing phenomenon where we were about a year in business and we were really focusing on the claims that we had. And at the time we had products that were RWA, which is raised without antibiotics. We had products that uh, had no added hormones, stuff like that. Um, and it's really important to know the difference between things like antibiotic free and raised without antibiotics and things like no added hormones versus no hormones, right? You can really tell a lot by where you're buying your meat based on how they're they're talking about their claims. But um, long story short, we had, uh, you know, people coming up to us asking for things like, hey, can I get organic beef or can I have 100% grass fed, grass finished beef? And at the time in our first year, we didn't have those products. But the weirdest thing was people kept ordering and the same people would keep ordering. So I started asking myself, I'm like, well, clearly these claims aren't the most important thing that people are making or they're not the, the biggest, most important factor when people are buying their meat. So we did a bunch of research and checked it out and we distilled it to the fact that it's transparency and people want to know as much about the product as possible. And we give credit to our customers, right? We get, we, you know, people say you can't handle the truth. No, their customers can handle the truth, right? So we try to go as deep as possible in terms of transparency. But when it comes down to it, sometimes, you know, you can't also know every single farmer, right? So we started realizing we talked to people well, like, you know, well, what about the butcher then? Can we, you know, about the butcher? Yeah, we know about the butcher and we know about a lot of the farmers too. So that's kind of when things changed quite a bit. And we went from true local, live local, eat natural, where it was all about the meat and the quality and all that to true local connecting you to the source. And that's what really came, became, it became about the transparency and it came who the farmers are and who are the suppliers and who's the butchers. And that's where the true local model came from. So the idea of people within their province should be able to shop for products sourced from their province. And that's why with True Local, you know, we operate in Ontario, Alberta, and BC. And when people order out of BC, they're going to get BC products from BC suppliers. And you see a whole different offering out in BC as compared to Ontario. So right. that's kind of where all this came about. And that's where we saw a big need. And people, once again, they're okay with going to the grocery store. But if there was one product, there's a study out there, and I, I can't cite it right now, but you can probably Google it. Pretty much that talks about this phenomenon where if there was one product at the grocery store that people would be okay getting somewhere other than the grocery store, it's meat. And I think that's because, yeah, there is, you know, there, there's all this, this stuff behind the scenes with meat. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's great to know where your stuff where your meat comes from, you know, if if that's what you choose to eat. I know there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of stuff talk out there whether it's good or not and it in either either way what you eat, it's it's up to you. I mean, there's good ways to do everything, there's bad ways to do everything, right? <laughs> You know, sure. there, there's I've always been, man, you know, do what works best for you. Like if you're yeah. a meat eater and, or you do any meat whatsoever and you care about, you know, where it's coming from, we're here for you. 
right? That's what we're here to do. You know, if it works well for some people, it works great for some people. It doesn't work well for other people, right? So, you know, for us, it's all about choice. You know, if we want to give people an option that if they want to look for this type of product, there's an easy way to do it. I always talk about it. You look at companies investing hundreds of millions of dollars and making it, you know, as easy as clicking one button on your phone to get, you know, a delivery from a major chain grocery store, but no one's really investing in making it that simple to shop with local smaller boutique farmers. Right. So that's kind of where our angle has been for the past three and a half years. No, I love it, man. I, I love what you're doing. And you know, the problem is with this big vegan vegetarian movement is I've talked about this before and this is whoever eats like this is fine, but these big companies, it's easier to produce this food that they can mass produce. You know, there's more profit, right? There's not like, that's the thing people don't realize. So I I always say to people like, make make sure you understand both sides of the the story when it comes to documentaries that we see, you know, and, and all these, this, this dogma, these, these, these claims, like look at both sides, right? Look at both because you got to understand that there is a lot, there's big companies making big money in producing some of this, this crap food that is out there and, you know, all kinds of pea protein and all this kind of stuff. So I just urge everybody, you guys listening, you guys have heard me talk about, I've talked to vegans, I've talked to meat eaters, I've talked to everybody. I love everybody, but I think everybody needs to do their due diligence and find out and, and understand there's, there's, there's two sides to everything, right? And you gotta, you gotta do your, you gotta do your research. Yeah. I think like one of the basic knowledges that you have to have as a human being is to understand there's two sides to every story. You know what I mean? Like if you're super far on one side, great, that's good for you. But you have to understand there is an equal opposing force that believes just as deeply on their side. Right. So I I love, I'm a curious guy. I would love to actually immerse myself in both sides and then kind of make my own opinions from there. So. Me too, man. And that's the beautiful thing. Life's a journey. You got to figure shit out, you know, like do try everything, man, you know, try it all, whatever you feel better with. And, 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 and that's just the point. It's like, it's, it's sometimes it turns into this, like us versus them, this kind of ridiculousness that I don't think needs to happen. But I guess that's just the time that we're in and people are learning. Right. And we're very sensitive nowadays. Right. Yeah. Believe what they believe then, you know, you're a heathen. Well, it makes it tough, you know, when game changers and, and, and documentaries like this come out one-sided, it makes it tough for people that aren't really that educated, but it's enough that they, they get all warm and fuzzy from it. And then they decide that they're going to make these choices and that's fine, whatever you do. But again, it's really, really important to just understand what is actually happening. So aside, aside from that, man, aside from, you know, getting in more and down that road, I really want to talk to you about just being a founder. Okay. You wrote an awesome article in LinkedIn and I want to bring this to attention to people and cover a few of the points that you had. So you had, I'll just kind of turn them into questions. And if you could elaborate on them, man, because I, I don't usually have set questions, but I like this. And I think it's important for, because, you know, I'm in a startup right now as well, you know, and it's been a challenge, bro. And any, there's a lot of people out there who want to start businesses or want to get into this world, but they got to have the reality of it. And I like these questions. So how about, how about let we just dive into this a little bit, man? Yeah, for sure. Why is it important to let your family and friends know what you're up to? Yeah. So I guess like the whole context to this article is that I remember looking back on it, like, you know, in high school, I I failed most of my classes in high school. I got my stuff together when I got to university, but you know, business was never an option. And anybody you did talk to in business was always talking about how amazing it was and the glory behind it. And it's like this amazing sort of central, but they don't really talk about the real side of it. And anybody I talk to, like when I get when I talk to another founder, I would say real recognize real, right? And 
we're the same people. Like all of us, we're, there's a very fundamental core that's the same, right? And I think a lot of it is just we kind of have the solidarity in the battle that we do um, on a day-to-day basis. And anybody who's doing anything from, you know, literally, whether it be some sort of multi-level marketing to, you know, a VC funded business to everything in between, right? Like you are on your own grind. So I just figured that, you know what, like I want people to know that, you know, there is challenging. It's hard out there. So anyway, I just put this, this article together, kind of giving five things that that I felt that affected me and that I realized and if it helps anybody else, you know, at least make them feel like, oh, I'm supposed to feel this way. So letting your friends and family know, I think is one of the most important ones. It sounds kind of easy, but nobody sets the expectations early on. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm going to give this a shot. But then let's say it does take off and usually take about a year. But after about a year, if it starts taking off, you're going to start realizing this is taking up every single ounce of your, like every single ounce that you have of your time. And once again, I got to put an asterisk here because I know a lot of very work-life balance founders that are doing really well. This is particularly the, the prefix I made was that if you're in your first business, that's like actually going places and you're not profitable or you're in the process of raising money, it's very different than if you're on your third or fourth business that's pulling in money and you can have a work-life balance. So I'm, I'm specifically talking about those guys that are in the trenches. Mm. But yeah, you got to let your friends and family know because they're going to be either your biggest support or they're going to be the reason that you fail and not because they do anything, but because they don't understand what you're going through. They don't understand that you're going to miss birthdays. Sometimes you're going to forget like when you're sitting alone, just, you know, watching TV or something, your mind is always on the business. So people that are with you might feel that you're getting more distant, but really you're actually just a hundred percent focused. I think that in the early days, if you could actually, when you decide to sign those incorporation papers or you decide to run your first ads or sell your first product, if you could sit down with your friends and family and be like, Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm doing this journey. I'm going to do this and I will become a little bit more distant, but I still love you. And I'm still here for you guys. If you ever need me, I'm here for that. But like, I hope that you respect that I'm doing this and hope that you're proud of me for doing it and support me on this. I actually think that like come year one, year two, when like it has been, you know, I forgot this birthday. I forgot this. I forgot that, you know, I haven't been home for the holidays. People always look back and be like, you know what? It's not like he changed or anything. Like he kind of called this out in the early days and it helps save those relationships down the line. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to put that in there because I think that's a really, really big one. Okay. And and you talked about committing to a time frame. Like what does that mean exactly? Do you set up like a long-term, like a five-year plan or does that mean, you know, a one year at a time? What does that mean? Yeah. So committing to a time frame for me, I think that all this stuff gets a lot easier if you have a vision. If you've got a vision that is crystal clear, this stuff is, it's a breeze you know like and by a breeze i mean they got at least the motivation to get up every day and do it becomes way easier when you have that vision and it's super clear but having a vision or a goal is a function of time so you have to set a time frame to be like okay i'm going to go into overdrive i'm going to i'm going to commit everything i have to this vision but you can only do that for a set amount of time because once again people think that you know businesses end up sprouting in a year and for those of you that have been as lucky and fortunate to make that happen or as skilled to make that happen like props once again i'm just kind of generalizing here for people that you know go through that that longer process but I think if you can set a time frame to be like, hey, look, I'm going to go overdrive. I'm going to go super hard. This is the time I'm willing to commit to change my life and build out a vision. If you have a time frame on that, it creates this new sense of urgency and also relief because A, you know you have a certain time frame to hit that. But let's say, you know what, maybe you don't. At least there's a relief in being like, okay, I can reevaluate my priorities. I didn't reach my goal. I can you know, take a step back. So if you don't have a time frame, you kind of just you never know when it's going to end. You're like, you know, I, I'm just going to keep on doing this. Is this my life? Is it what it's going to be the rest of my life? So I think that committing to a time frame can really help once again, keep you sane and just kind of keep your priorities in order and keep you motivated. Do you have like 
90 day goals sort of, sort of thing or one year or how does that? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, weekly goals, 90 day goals, quarter, like all that stuff. But for this, this particular reference, I'm definitely talking long-term. So I'm talking like, what, when do you want to see you're starting a business? Okay. What is the purpose of starting that business? Why is it financial freedom? Is it to solve a, a problem? Is it to help people? Is it for respect? Is it, what is it for? What, how long are you willing to commit to get to that goal? So if it's for financial freedom, your goal is to get financially free. And the method in which you're going to do that is by starting a business. How long do you think that'll take? Okay. You know, four years, I'm willing to do that. If your goal is to help people, okay, you know what? I want to create a business that helps people. When can I actually sit back and say, I now run a business that helps people two years, by all means, go do that. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm talking in this, in this, when you're starting a business and advice for founders is to figure out, you know, what that overall vision or goal is, and then figure out how long you think it'll take to achieve that and set that as the, the benchmark. Right. No, I love that, man. And that's so important. I think a lot of people lack that, you know, mm-hmm. there's resistance and there's, there's so many things happening there. What about this is a moving? Yeah. And this is a moving target, right? Like, you know, yeah. if you get a year and a half into it and things are going really well and you're in a, a clear state of mind and you decide, Hey, you know what? I've actually gotten better at forecasting. I've gotten more realistic. I've got a better at planning. And I can now see that I'm gonna have to push this back another year or whatever it needs to be. By all means, it's not like you have to get super locked into it. But once again, it just gives you that sense. If you have something, it just gives you that sense of relief and also that sense of urgency. So right now on a, a more of a personal level, how important has been waking up early? Cause this one's huge. And that's why I love this article, bro, because it really, it's, it's a realistic, there's realistic points that I could really relate to as well when I was reading it. So that's why I really wanted to highlight this, you know, how, how important is waking up early and why has that been important for you? Yeah. Like a lot of this, this whole thing was that, you know, I try, I try to talk a lot about like, look, man, if I can do it, anybody can do it because I want to be super clear here. Like I'm not a business guy. I was never a business guy growing up, you know, I'm still paying off. I was sap, didn't come from a lot. And I definitely wasn't a morning person at all. I mean, I was in university. I was, you know, I was playing ball. I wanted to go have fun. If I could sleep until noon, I would. And even to this day, I would sleep until noon if I could. But you start realizing that the things that you need to accomplish in a day, you just got to start waking up earlier. And it's not even about, okay, well, you know, I'll go to bed later, but wake up later. It's not about that. Like it's being in a good state of mind and being in wellness and being disciplined. So for me, you know, waking up early changed everything. It really, I think single-handedly in my own personal, my own personal well-being, health, as well as my ability to achieve my goals, like my weekly goals, my weekly things I'm trying to get done. Waking up early changed everything. Setting that morning routine. There's an awesome book out there called, I think it's called My Morning Routine actually, which it's great because it doesn't actually tell you what to do or how you should do it. It just gives examples from other people who have successful morning routines. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, True Local, we do a monthly book club, get the whole team together. We do a book every month and then kind of chat about it. And this one actually started a bunch of 30-day challenges in the office. But waking up early, once you get to a certain level where you've capped out where you're at currently, you will realize that if you want to get that next step, one of the easiest ways to do that is, you know, set your alarm a little earlier and get yourself a morning routine. That'll, it changes a lot. It really does. It really does. I mean, I, I've heard about that getting up at 4.30 or 5 for a while and then I've done it and I don't know what it is about that time of the day, but there's something in, something magical about getting up at that time. You're awake, you, you, everybody's still sleeping, you know, You're like proud, jogging. Man. You, yeah, you, you, you the day with a win, you know? Yeah. 
And yeah. you start the day being like, I'm up, who else is up? I'm going to send out a whole round of emails before people even know, wake up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, lo I love it. I really do. And it's hard in the, for the first two weeks and then it's hard for the month. But then once yeah. you start being like, you start appreciating yourself for it. It's like, okay, you know what? I, this is a really good thing for me. And, and it's getting to bed early. That's the tough part. It's, <laughs> That's it's the so hardest part. easy to just, to just get into that. Oh, I don't have to go to bed right now. You know, like, yeah. And how that many, how many people go through that? And then, you know, it's all fun and games at night. Yeah. I'm going to get up at five, but if you don't give yourself that rest, that alarm goes off, it's dark, it's winter. You're like, I'm not getting up. Yeah. A hundred percent. You, know, you like, don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, you know, someone, I, I put in the article, but someone said this and it's so true. Like, you know, nobody wakes up at 5am because they want to, they wake up at a bit out of necessity. They have a goal that they're hunting or there's something like, if you didn't have any goals and you didn't have any ambition and you were just chilling and you had no purpose to wake up early, you wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Everybody that does wake up early is because they're trying to achieve something or do something better, but it does go hand in hand with getting enough sleep. So that's the thing that I'm trying to work on even now. Like I'll get about six hours and I know I got to push that, but yeah, that means you got to be in bed. Like you got to be wrapping it up at 10 o'clock and try to pass out by 10 30 11 so i find that six hour window is actually i feel better than i do if i have eight which is yeah. bizarre like six six hours six and a half it's like i always feel better and i may get a little bit more tired later in the afternoon yeah. but that that feeling i feel like you can you can oversleep you know yes and it's weird it's funny you say that because i feel when i wake up in the morning I definitely feel better off six than eight, but you're right. Throughout the course of the day, yeah. You no, know, eight, you can feel the difference when eight. So I'll do eight on the weekends. On the weekends, I'm yeah. definitely like, I'm trying to sleep when I can. But during the week, like I'm up five, like not playing any games. I got I, I, it's become like a thing for me. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm disappointed myself or I let myself down if I don't do it. So it's funny how that stuff kind of becomes a ritual once you get into it. What's your morning routine look like? Do you have one that's kind of non negotiable? Uh, I wake up in the morning, go to the gym. So like that to me, yeah, that's the thing. I need to do it. It's the only time really right now in the stage of the business or at least where we've been, like we're startup, right? So it's still small, still hectic. It's chaotic. It's the only time I really get for myself and I can do something that I personally feel proud of. You know, as a founder, when you're in the early days and you're in the trenches and you're doing things on a regular basis, you get that sense of accomplishment, that feedback on a regular basis. But as you grow in your role, so I'm always trying to learn, you know, I put a lot of pressure on my team to learn. Well, I have to be getting better equally, if not faster than they are, right? So I think like, yeah, I forget where they're going with this. So I'll scrap that. But <laughs> <laughs> now we were just talking about the routine. So you're, you're, um, oh yeah, yeah. The sorry, gym, sorry. and then you want to, you want to be able to have that thing that you, that you do. And that's like, you're only, cause you're so busy. That's like your time to kind of get in the zone, so to speak. Right. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. Yeah. So like, as you grow in your role and you get your team yeah. developed and stuff, you know, I've noticed that my role really has become like very encompassing, spending a lot of time with the team. And you also realize that you don't get those, those quick wins anymore. So in the trenches, you know, you go and you deliver a box, you go and you get a sale. That's a quick win. You grab that right then and there. But as you're growing the business, you start realizing your wins, the projects you're working on are bigger. You know, they're fewer and far between, you know, a project that would have taken you a day back then now your goal is to, I want to expand into a different province or I want to do this, right? So you don't get these wins on a daily basis as much. So for me, waking up in the morning and going to the gym, I just kind of feel instantly like I'm like, hey, you know what? That's that's for me. Like I feel like it was a good time. So that's yeah. my, my main morning routine right there. Yeah, cool. So, you know, you were talking about how you you can get punched in the gut a couple times and, and get knocked down. A lot of people quit. You know, how important is it that you celebrate your wins, though, your little wins along the way to get building that confidence? How important is that? 
Yeah. So that was something that I think I really hope, like I said, if anybody's reading this, you know, I really hope that this is one that they take to heart because it's one of the hardest ones and ones that I haven't found too many people talking about. But it's like what I was just saying, you know, in the early days, you get, you're not actually accomplishing much, but your perception of it is great. So I delivered a box. Well, great. Congratulations. You met a customer. It's good. And you feel good about it. And you get that instant gratification, that instant satisfaction. But as you grow in your role, well, when your goal now is I want to increase my margins by, you know, 3% or I want to, you know, expand into a different province, that takes time. So you can be putting a lot of work in, a lot of great work in, and by the end of the day, you feel like you've accomplished nothing. And I feel like that all the time. Like I really do. And that's something that I got to work on, but I'll put a bunch of work in throughout the course of the day and I don't get home and I don't get that little jolt, that excitement, you know, that dopamine shot or whatever it is. And I started realizing that the only way to survive as a founder that's in a, a, you know, a high stress startup, pushing things forward, looking at the growth side of things. Once again, like first time startup, if you're in that sort of grinding trench, you've got to find the wins in the small things. So you do a small accomplishment. It's got to be things that like, once again, for me, waking up early, I get a massive jolt on that. Hitting the gym, I get a great jolt on that. Clearing out my inbox, I feel really good about that. You know, just being organized on a meeting, you know, and it could be anything and it should be something that's very personal to you. It could be eating healthy for the day. Like you didn't cheat, you didn't do anything. But if you can kind of suck all the energy you can out of those little wins, that's kind of what will keep your tanks at a level of, you know what, I can maintain this over the course of three to five years, right? And when you look at a startup, that's kind of, you know, if you look at the average time that it takes for you to reach whatever goal that might be, you're talking about three to five years. I think a lot of people think, yeah, I'll be figured this out in a year or so. And it's hard. So if you want to run the marathon, then you got to find a way to get energy from smaller things rather than waiting for those giant, you know, I just closed this six month contract kind of thing. I think that's just a lesson in life too, is we get so fixed on the long, the goal that we forget about the journey. You know, we forget about, because man, the more I talk to people, you know, people who've become successful, people who have made it, people who have realized what the actual thing is and it's the action it's the come up it's the journey it's the learning because the the failure or those 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 shitty days are just as important as the good days and and you got to almost embrace it because it's like all right well I'm getting better and celebrating those little things along the way and focusing on what you have you know because chances are a year ago it was you know a lot different than it is now and and we, we kind of forget we get so fixed on this long-term goal that we forget to enjoy the process. Yeah, that's what it is. And you know what? A lot of it is context. And I struggle with that a lot too. You know, like I said, I'm always trying to learn and get better just in everything and the way I lead the team and in my own personal life. And that's something I struggle with a lot too. Like I'm a very vision focused guy. Like I'm very much an end game kind of guy. And as we grow the business and I get older and I start talking to more people and trying to get advice and just kind of see different sides of the coin, I start realizing that I should probably appreciate the process a little bit more. You know, it's hard sometimes. It really is because, you know, like I said, you get kicked in the nuts every day running a business, right? So (laughs) trying to appreciate that. But the things that the way I've started actually appreciating that a little bit more is realizing how much of a better person it's making me, you know, dealing with adversity every single day. You know, if I didn't get into business, I never would have gotten the resilience that I have right now. And continuing on, it's the same thing. I think life, like I said, is a journey, right? And I think that you're going to acquire different skill sets. You're going to acquire more knowledge. You're going to become a better person, a more full, well-rounded person with the more experiences that you deal with. And right now, you know, as a, as a founder, I get to deal with some of the most adversity I've, I've dealt with, period. And it's making me a better person because of it. So enjoying part of the journey is definitely something that I want to make sure to continue to, to try to appreciate as much as possible. I think everybody struggles with that, man. I think everybody is, it's the same, right? It's, it's like we feel we haven't, you go home and you're like, wait a minute, what did I, 
what did I get today? You know? And, yeah. and you, you know, you've done work, but you're, I, I feel like that all the time, man. Like it's, it's crazy. It's, it's one of those things. It's just how we're programmed. You know, we're, we're, we're programmed and that goes back, you know, in our DNA or just to keep going and keep chasing the next thing. And the, just like, we rarely celebrate what, we, what we've done now, you know, what we did today. Well, I think like we just like to push things forward, right? So the yeah. things that made me satisfied, the things I was proud about myself, and I, I talk about this all the time and people talk about egos and being, you know, like self-centered and stuff like that. But like at the end of the day, you should be proud of the things that you do. And I talk about it in the article where like, if you're a founder of anything, period, man, like give yourself some major, major props because like it, it's, you know, it's not easy. And I think that the more people try to tear it down and the more people try to be like, well, you know what? Like, you know, you chose to do this. Yeah, we did. But, you know, I think you should be very proud of the things that you accomplished and that'll help you once again give you that energy but like you were saying i think that you know as you get you achieve these small goals if you're the type of person who wants to push things forward well now those same goals aren't good enough for you so you want to accomplish bigger and better things but in reality that that, that that's not linear right like yeah. your expectation for your goals with your work it's not it's not linear so i think what ends up happening a lot of the time like i was saying before is that you know your expectations for yourself become a lot more so the same things if you're doing the same things over the course of a year and it's a great grinding day at the beginning of the year, you'll feel very accomplished at the end of that day. But by the end of the year, you're gonna be like, what did I even do? This is like easy stuff for me, right? It's like working and mastering any sort of move or boxing or something like that. You know, you get yeah. start throwing the same punch over and over and you get excited that you achieved that punch. But, you know, by the end of the year, like, why can I get this combination, you know, with a knockout, right? I think there's a big part of that there. But humans are humans, right? You know, we want to push things forward. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree. So I, I, there's one thing that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to kind of unpack real quick is the building your culture in your environment. And you guys do that through like, you know, book clubs and stuff. I love yeah. that because that's so important, man. Like people need to read and people need to understand. And I, I love that idea. Can you talk us through your culture building and, and that specifically? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's cooler than it sounds. So pretty much the whole idea was that I think you look at a lot of articles or you talk to a lot of people about culture and pretty much they'll tell you, you know, culture is these five words you put on the wall and it's integrity and it's honesty and all this type of stuff. But really culture is action. You know, you can't actually say what your culture is. You know what I mean? People got to, pe people do culture. It's an action. Okay. So creating a culture to me has always been really important, but creating a culture in a normal office is challenging enough already. You got to hire the right people. You got to set the right expectations. You got to manage properly, but let alone doing that when you've got an office and then you've got, you know, um, a warehouse where you pack orders out of in three provinces and you're trying to keep the team and we're all young. We're all friends. Like, to be honest, you know, the first 10 people we hired were all my friends, family, everything. Right. So trying to keep a sense of culture and, and make it uniform across a business is very difficult, let alone being in all these different locations. So I figured, you know what, we're not gonna be able to just randomly throw words on a wall and create a culture. Why don't we actually do this over time and see how we build it out? So what I did was I was like, a lot of these people, you know, it's a startup, right? Overworked, underpaid. And I was still able to somehow bring in some amazing talent and amazing team members. And a lot of it was on, Hey, do you want to personally develop and you want to grow and help grow this business at the same time? So I knew that my job to them was to make sure that we somehow gave some personal development. So I'm like, you know what, we can do a book club that will allow people to do personal development on the business side, but we'll also apply it to the business. So what we do is every month we get together, um, we choose a book, usually business related. We read that book over the course of the month, the next meeting we get together and we distill it down into one word or one sentence or something on those lines. So the biggest takeaway we got from the book, it might not even be the main theme from the book, just something that we took away from the book. We toss it up on the wall and then at the end of the year, so we do that for 12 months. At the end of the year, we'll have 12 
sayings or 12 words or symbols or whatever of these books that we actually read and digested and allowed to mull over the course of a year. And then from there, we want to pick the top five that we see embodied every day and really kind of have that be, you know, the, the culture and be the core, the core values that we have. So instead of doing it where it's like, Hey, let's just throw something on the wall quickly. You know, I want to take a year to actually develop it and have there be an actionable, applicable process to it. And watching the development from the team is insane. You know, you read a really good book, you know, we just did, uh, which is the Lululemon story, my black oh. little stretchy pants or whatever, you know, and Chip Wilson, that guy is insane, you know, like yeah. so inspiring with what he does. But you look at that book and contrast it to, you know, Ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz. He did the hard thing about hard things, which is like, you look at the Lululemon book and it's very feel good, very culture, very much the story of the entrepreneur, you know, very personal. When you look at the hard thing about hard things from Ben Horowitz, and that is like a literal executive manual on how to run a business, right? So you get these really cool, different, different vibes that people can kind of feed off of and take away. So that's what we've been doing probably like eight months into it now. But yeah. That's awesome because there's something, there's something special about when a group of people have read the same book. You know, yeah. I've seen it in, in, you know, my online marketing community and even in the network marketing space you know, like the think and grow rich and these kind of things when, when everybody kind of gets their perspective of the book and kind of gives back their feedback on it. It's, it's, it's a cool thing and it's a good way to build that, 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 that culture. It's a good way because there's so, some people see the book differently and, and, yeah. and their outlook of it, but the message is generally the same, which is a yeah. really good idea for, you know, a smaller business too. To, to have that reason where like, okay, well, I actually, everyone's reading this, so I need to read it and I need to kind of come prepared. And I think it's a, I think it's a great way. I think, I think it's, and it holds people accountable as well. I think a huge thing, even for me, like once again, myself personally developing was really, you get, there's no better way to get a better inside look. You know, we were talking about looking at things from different sides of the coin. You all read the same book and you have discussions about it, especially when it applies to the business. And you see some people look at things in completely different light. And it was so beautiful to see because now you start seeing how the team works so well together. You know, these people work well with these people because they're thinking similar or they think opposite, right? So even as a founder, I think it's great to look at just to kind of see what your team is able to come up with. Your team's always going to amaze you with that type of stuff. So That's awesome. You hear that, guys? More book clubs. Yeah. (laughs) Man, (laughs) it's... Maybe there needs to be like a better name for book club to make it I know, more, that's, like more oh, interesting, but it's a I great know. idea, man. It's a great we idea. Do inter- we do interviews. I say the same thing. Like, <laughs> we do monthly book club. It's cooler than it sounds, but yeah, they gotta, we got to figure out something. Maybe Absolutely. Like a culture meeting or figure something out, but yeah, it is sure. good. Dude, thank you very much, man. This was, this was awesome. You know, I, um, I love hearing these stories and, and, you know, being a Canadian company, it's awesome. And, you know, I just love hearing the journey. I love hearing the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think everybody does, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but it's, it's all growth. It's all you're learning. Right. And, and man, I'm just excited to see you guys kill it and and just keep expanding. So like, thanks very much for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I love talking about this type of stuff. I love your podcast. I, uh, I hope that if there's if anybody gets any value out of this, you know, just understand, you know, like I said, like there's nothing special about any of these founders that you talk to. It's just, you know, we kind of got a vision, started working towards it. And literally like any single person can do it. It's just dive in and, and commit. So where, uh, where can we find you, man? 
Yeah. So uh, true local best, uh, best of everything. So pretty much at true local uh, for Instagram, you can find us on www.truelocal.ca. If you guys did want that, that article, it's on my LinkedIn. So Mark M-A-R-C Lafleur L-A-F-L-E-U-R. Um, and it's on there, but yeah, those are the best ways to, to reach out. Awesome, man. Just one last question. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you to wrap it up? One lesson, adversity is stronger than you are, man. Like adversity it hits you every day. And if you take a step back to appreciate how much adversity you've come through, you start realizing how much you can accomplish moving forward. So if you can take a step to look back and you know, you have these people that are like, I've had a bad day. I've had so many bad days. But look back and be like, I survived all those bad days. They didn't kill me. You can start looking at the next week of shit that you have to deal with and be like, you know what? I could probably take this on too. So love it. <laughs> cool. Love right, it, man. man. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And I hope that you check out Mark because he's an awesome dude and he's doing some great things with True Local. Again, I love the transparency and I think it's important if you do decide to eat meat in your life that you know where it comes from. And I think that what they do to package it all together with your local farmers is very, very important. So follow him, check him out on all platforms. It's all in the show notes. Love and appreciate you guys. We'll catch you next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.